If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The Glass Noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 124 of Confessions of a Marketer, the politics of marketing. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Philip Stutz is back and we delve more into politics and hear his story of perseverance as he faces an incurable disease. It is worth your time to stay tuned. Next time, we have the former SVP of Overstock.com, Jeff Atkinson, who's now founder and CEO of Huckabye on to talk about SEO and taking Overstock.com from zero in revenue to $300 million. And as 2020 starts, we'll talk with Jeff Hahn, principal of Apron, an agency focused on marketing and PR in the food business. And Mel Edwards, global CEO of Wonderman Thompson, will join us. Oh, and we'll also have Joe Auer, who runs Mattress Clarity, in to expand on our discussion about SEO. And Jocelyn Kopak will be in to talk about building a great brand. So stay tuned. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. All right, back to Philip Stutz. Philip has a long background in politics, which we uncover in this part of our discussion. But the more fascinating and inspiring part of our discussion is his story of facing an incurable disease. One thing's for sure, he doesn't stand still. Let's get to it. I'd like to talk about politics a little bit, not about politics, but about your your role as a political marketer. And it's, what, 50 years ago when we had the book called The Selling of the Presidency, and it was really about how consumer marketing ideas had made their way into politics. And now here we are 50 years later, and you're you're taking ideas that you learned in politics and applying them to marketing in business. What's happened to cause that? The big shift happened in 2004. Let me explain, and I'm going to lay out how it all came together. 
Was that Howard Dean and all that? Well, no, because Howard had a movement, but it didn't go past Iowa. So, And I was in Iowa tracking him for George W. Bush. But I worked for George W. Bush on his reelect. I was the national get-out-the-vote director, basically the marketing director for the campaign to get out the vote. And in that campaign, so it was the first time ever that we used consumer data as a overlay on voter data. So voter data is basically in any state in the country. I can call the state government. They will send me a list of all the voters, uh, when they voted, all the demographics on them. I don't know who they voted for, but you can make assumptions that they're registered to party. And we had always targeted voters in that way before 2004. In 2004 with Bush, we did something different. We overlay consumer data and we started building out profiles based on what these voters cared about and then developed our marketing and messaging and all to pinpoint that particular voter. That had never been done before in the history of American politics. It was the greatest marketing campaign in the history of American politics until yeah. 2008, four years later, yeah. when Obama yeah. took our data targeting model and married it with social media. And he created, between 2008 and 2012, the greatest marketing campaign in the history of American politics until 2016, when yeah. Trump married branding, Make America Great Again, with social media. He ran the greatest social media campaign in the history of American politics. And he did it with the kind of data that we talked about. So he combined, he put all those three together. That soup came up. And that is the greatest, most innovative marketing campaign in the history of American politics. And I tell you that because we have election day. And like you said earlier, it's our scorecard. And if we finish second, we're out of business. Do I lose races? Yeah, of course we do. I think we're at our scorecard right now in the last three years is something like 265 races, 218 wins. But I got to win a lot more than I lose or I'm out of business. I'm gone. No one's going to hire me if I lose. Corporate marketing doesn't have this. There is not this drive, this unavoidable deadline whether your business will succeed or whether it goes away forever. And so our mindset is just completely different in that regard. And so I believe, and I wrote, write about this in the book and I lay out why, but I believe that political marketing is the most innovative in the world right now. And I believe corporate marketing is behind. And I'm telling you, the corporate marketing world is going to see a massive disruption in the next 10 years. And the funny thing is, we already saw it. We saw the beginnings of it in 2004, 2008, 2012. And then really, whether you hate him or whether you love him, Donald Trump is the most disruptive moment in the history of American politics. And all of this has come in a matter of 12 years. It's happened. We've already seen it. We're done. We've adapted. We've innovated. And we're moving forward. And I don't see it in the corporate marketing world. And it's coming. Yeah. It's certainly a disruption, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, big time. (laughs) All right. So you have a five-step process that businesses can apply to their marketing strategies. Can you share some of that or all of that with my listeners? Yeah, and we just talked a little bit about, let me show you how it works in politics. And actually, I'm going to tell you another industry it also works in, but let me do this. In politics, the first thing a political candidate does when he hires me or the first thing I do is I sit down with him or her and I say, what do you care about the most and you want to talk about? 
every right. time that politician gives me a list of 20 things, right? <laughs> and then I go, great. And then we go, and for your interview's sake, I'm going to make this really simple. But we go out and use polling and consumer data. We marry it all together. And we come back and say, in order to win this race, in order to get 50 plus 1% of the vote, here are the two things where you have total alignment with the voters and what you care about the most. That's all we're going to talk about. So that's step one. What does the data say? Step two is once you find out with the data and you find alignment with that candidate and the voters, you build a strategic point around it. Step three is you create the brand for the candidate now based on what the voters care about the most that we found that alignment on. Step four is now with a low dollar spin, because these candidates typically don't have a lot of money, we go out and test all the messages in the data on these two or three topics. That's it. Just two or three topics, but we'll test a bunch of different messaging within those two or three topics. We always find messages in the testing phase that rise to the highest and greatest point that we know will crush and get us to victory. And then we launch a full-blown marketing campaign now that we know what works. In that five-step process that I've always done, we've eliminated all the risk for the candidate. Not all of it, right? You've eliminated the most risk possible. And you've put that candidate in the best position to win. I'll tell you one other industry that does this, and this is crazy. Uh, do you like football, Mark? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay, what's your favorite NFL team? I live in New England. So oh, I've, I've, you like I've, the Patriots. It's a great yeah. example. Great. Let me step, take a step back. Every political marketing campaign I run, my opponent in that race, their political marketing campaign is doing this exact same five-step process. Exactly the same. It's a mano y mano and that is the process that everybody follows because it is the most effective and innovative. In sports, right, right now, let's say on Monday, uh, the Patriots come back to the facility where they practice. And the first thing the team or Belichick is going to do is he has all the videotape from their game and their next opponent. They're studying the data first. Yeah. Then they put a game plan in place once they've studied all the data. Then Robert Kraft is going to go clean up that stadium. He's going to pick up all the trash. They're going to clean the uniforms. They're going to get the brand on point for the next week's game. Then the fourth step is the team goes out and practices the plays from the game plan. This is the testing phase. They test the plays they're going to run on offense that they think will work. They test the plays on defense they think will stop their opponent. They figure out before the game, what are the best plays that we need to put in our playbook? Which are going to work from practice that we know will work the best? And then they go play the game. It's the same process. Guess what? Every sports team across the board uses this this exact same process. Everybody. It's mano y mano, and they're all going against each other using the exact same process. Now, I can tell you that's the same process that doctors use to treat patients. It is the same process that lawyers use to win court trials. I could give you many other industries, but there's one industry that they're not using it. There's one industry that is not following this process. Yeah. Marketers in the corporate marketing space. Yeah. And guess what? I do. And every one of my clients is growing their business because I'm playing in a lane that no one else in my industry is playing. I'm beating all of my clients' competitors right now because no one is playing this game. It blows my mind. Every industry is doing this except for marketers on the business side. And so that is the five-step process. It's not new. 
Other industries do it, but marketers in the corporate space are not. And if you are a business owner or a marketer and you use this, you're just going to play a different game. Yeah, and it's really a learning process. It's kind of like a you know, a Mobius strip of learning, right? Mm-hmm. And and putting it into practice. It is, but it is about this and it goes back to the premise that we talked about earlier. The five yeah. steps gives you the best chance to succeed. The five yeah. steps eliminates the most risk from the business. It's not sign a long-term contract, let's go spend a bunch of money. That is not the approach. The approach is to be methodical, figure it out, and take as much risk off the table for the business so that they can win. Yeah. Is this something that if more marketers practice, they could avoid whatever disruption is coming down the pike that we talked about earlier? Yeah, I believe it because it keeps truth in the the process. Look, the tactics are always going to change, Mark. You know this. Like right now, or I would tell you this, four years ago, Facebook was one of the great platforms that ever existed. Right now, it's total crap to me. I'm finding less and less ROI across the board. They're making it harder and harder to run ads on their platform. Young people are not going there. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I know that. I've got kids. The old people are, right? But even they are so inundated with ads that it is just an ineffective platform. The platform that is killing everything right now is YouTube and video content. And most business owners, if you go to their website, don't even have a freaking video on their website. And I don't think business owners should just slap a video on their website. I think they should find out what their customers want. (laughs) I believe you should test a bunch of messages. You find out what resonates with your customers. And then you put videos together that touch connective points with those customers. Just be shocked by how many business owners that are running eight-figure businesses aren't doing these things right now. It blows your mind. And you feel this world will be disrupted pretty soon. I believe every industry in the world is about to be disrupted in the next 10 years. And this isn't uh, pulling a fire alarm. I've sat here and studied this for four years now. Ever since Trump, I said something as crazy is going on. And I looked at it. I'll, you know, I, I can give you a million examples. I'll give you one. You know, Autonomous cars. It's not that autonomous sure. cars are coming. We know they're coming. It is the second and third order consequences of autonomous cars. What happens sure. to city and state governments when there are no more speeding tickets, no more parking tickets because you have a safe car, a self-driving car? And they'll always go to the speed limit. What happens to their revenue, tax revenues, when they can't ticket you anymore? What happens to car insurance companies when you have 99% safer cars on the road? What Mm -hmm. happens to ambulance-chasing lawyers that sue for traffic accidents? (laughs) What happens to emergency care workers when we have 250,000 less traffic accidents every year? And the craziest one is what happens to people on organ donor lists when we have 35,000 less traffic deaths per year with those people that donate their organs to people in need? This is one disruption. I could go on for three hours on other markets, whether it's the construction industry, uh, whether it's the food industry. I mean, I can go- Long haul trucking for, you know, automated uh, vehicles, things like like that. We're going to see, you know, the loss of jobs, not because of other people coming in cheaper, but because of automation. And the disruption in the marketing world is this. Everybody's got a phone in front of their face right now. And every marketer says, you've got to go to where the eyeballs are. 
And I'm going to tell you it's something completely different. Yeah. It is that we've lost the ability in our society to connect with other human beings. And the marketers and the businesses that find deep, connective ways to market to them, things that make them laugh, things that make them mad, things that burn inside and say, I want to purchase that or I want to be with them, to build loyalty, to build connections. That's why you use the data. That's why it's so important. That's why, yes, I believe the five steps is a way to overcome the disruption because the data isn't to sneak and find out what these people care about. The data is to find a deeper connection with them so you can build more meaningful relationships with customers and clients. Oh, that's great. I want to talk about you for a minute. You're living with an incurable disease, and obviously that has a big effect on on your life and the way you lead your life. But you say that it's also helped you fuel your desire to help business owners succeed. Can you square that circle for me? Can you tell us about that? (laughs) Yeah. So I have an incurable disease. It's a rare esophageal disease. My esophagus doesn't work. It's dead. Uh, The nerves and the muscles are dead. It'll never work. So for me, eating is very hard. I have to drink tons of water. I've had 16 minor procedures on my esophagus. I've had three major surgeries. And for the first five years, I was so paralyzed by the fear of the disease that I stuck my head in the sand and I did nothing about it. Sure. So I understand how business owners feel when they know they need to change and they don't do anything about it. Well, about three years ago, I go, I'm at the Mayo Clinic and I'm having a checkup after my last major surgery. My, my esophagus looks like an upside down pom-pom mark. It's just yeah. shredded so that food will drop huh. into my stomach once I swallow it. And so it's, um, you know, so I went to the doctor and said, I know it's incurable, but like, what's the long-term prognosis? Five years into the disease, I finally asked a question. Shocking. Three yeah. surgery, three major surgeries, 16 minor procedures. And he said, Philip, you know, there's no cure. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, look, you know, eventually we're going to have to remove your esophagus. We can't give you another surgery. You've had too many. And you're going to be defeating two the rest of your life. You're also really susceptible to certain cancers. You know, at the time I was in my early 40s, I'm in my mid 40s now. And he said, yeah, by the time you're 50, you're going to be in a feeding to the rest of your life. Well, most business owners, just like me, in a moment like that, the pain got too big and I had to do something about it. Most sure. people don't make change until the pain is too much to bear. I know how that feels. I understand how it feels. I've been there and I did it. And in that moment, I vowed I was going to figure out something. And so that was three years ago. And so I uh, was driving home from the Mayo Clinic. And the first thing I said was, well, the first thing I got to do is Google this thing. That's how stupid and ignorant I was. And so what led me down two paths. One is I realized that this was an autoimmune disease. My gut, I mean, there was some kind of attack on my esophagus and and killed it. And part of that was the diet I was eating. I was eating foods that were not healthy for me. If you saw me, you wouldn't believe it. I'm, you know, 5'10", I weigh 155 pounds. I'm skinny. But these foods were horrible for me. And I read a book by a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry. wrote a book called The Plant Paradox. And it blew my mind. And I said, my God, I really think this is the diet that I should have been on. I got on that diet two years ago. I have an incurable disease, Mark, and I take no medication for it after I got on this diet. 
I take yeah. zero medication for an incurable disease. I was taking a ton before I got on the diet. And then the second part is, what do I need to do to either preserve my esophagus or cure it? So I vowed I would do that. I wrote an article in Inc. It got picked up by a researcher who saw it. They connected me with a doctor at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. That doctor said, why don't we try to figure this out together? Over the last two and a half years, we have assembled a team around me. We have petitioned the FDA for an approval of a clinical trial. It was approved. Hopkins approved it. And about a month ago, I started the first ever one-man clinical trial where they extracted stem cells out of my thigh muscle. Now we'll spend the next six months growing those stem cells. And then in six months, they will start inserting them into my esophagus to try to regenerate, reconnect the muscles, the nerves, regenerate the muscle function so I can eat normally again. The procedure has never been done before, not on animals, not anywhere. It's not even really a clinical trial. It's it's like a compassionate use case. I, I told the doctor, uh, no, actually, uh, it's called a guinea pig case. And he laughed and said, <laughs> please don't say that. Uh, yeah. But he's like, well, it's kind of true. And so it may work and it may not. I don't know. But the fact is, is that I didn't do anything. And I kept my head in the sand for five years, even though this disruption was coming in my own health. And I didn't t- make a change until the pain was too much. And so I'm really purpose-driven to help business owners that go, my industry is totally disrupting and I know I have to change. I'm not sure how to do it. I've had my head in the sand and I want to change and I want to flourish and innovate over the next 10 to 20 years and not go away because we're going to see a lot of industries go away. And my job is to help them. And that's what I do yeah. from a marketing standpoint to help grow them. And, uh, and that's where it all comes from. Well, that's an inspiration. It really is. Well, thank you. Yeah, before we close out, you offer a free five-minute marketing audit, and you are kind enough to offer that to our listeners. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, through the book and through the interviews I've done, I've had a lot of people reach out and say, well, how do I even get started? I, I hear what you're saying. And so I thought, well, what's a way to help people that, don't, that aren't even paying me? And so we created this five-minute marketing audit. If you're a business owner, and you go, my God, I need to figure out what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. You can go to philipstutz.com backslash audit. Mark, I'm sure it'll be in your show notes too. But the, yeah. uh, it takes literally five minutes. And you fill out your publicly available digital footprint. And from that, my team will spend two to three business days pouring over that footprint. And we will come up with a 25-point checklist on the things you're doing right and the things you can improve. It's like a nine-page document. It's crazy. And we will, in addition, uh, we will do a 30-minute consultation call with you for free to walk through the report and answer any questions you have. You do not have to hire us if you want to do that. It's free. It's available for you. If you think, my God, how do we get started? We can have that conversation. But for the most part, most business owners take this and go implement it and grow their business. And it's been a fun process for us to put, go through as well. Well, that's interesting. I, I hope some of my listeners take you up on this offer. I'd love it. Good. Well, Philip, this has really been an enlightening discussion. I really appreciate it. It's been a, an interesting perspective on marketing and certainly a, a really uh, valuable lesson in life, too. Thanks for joining me. Hey, I'm such an honor, Mark. Thank you for having me. 
All right. Wow. That is one of the most enlightening and inspiring discussions I think we've had on the podcast. Remember to take Philip up on his offer of that free five-minute marketing audit. That's at philipstutz.com slash audit. Next time, Jeff Atkinson of Huckabye. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. Stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.